0: From the video of my droogs, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Now, here are two men who can't get enough of the glorious Ludwig Van, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. An awesome Stanley Kubrick film reference in honor of the uh, display, the exhibit at the uh, L.A. County Museum. Corey, who said it? That Clockwork Orange reference, which I totally knew, was brought to you by Lenny Timmons. Sweet. Well,
1: you know, well, you have not been to the uh, Stanley Kubrick exhibit, have you? I
0: have not yet been to the exhibit.
1: Uh, why are you potting me down? Because was I too loud or well, not I'm, loud I'm enough? I'm
0: potting myself up. Got it. Is what I'm doing. I'm not potting you down. You're always overmodulated. Because well, you're an well, whose over- Whose fault mo- is that? It's, it's, you know, it's your fault for living an overmodulated life.
1: You know, the Kubrick exhibit is actually very good. I have been.
0: Yeah, I'm, and it, I'm going to go eventually.
1: It's got great stuff. It, you know, it it has the actual orange from a Clockwork Orange. I mean, that's that's how good it is.
0: Is this my cue to laugh <laughs> or to groan? Or? It, it's
1: your cue to wonder why you were born. <laughs> yeah. Right. That is what it is. No, it's actually it's actually very good. They have separate rooms for all of the films, Clockwork Orange and The Shining and, you know, Dr. Strangelove, and there's lots nice. of – did we talk about this last time? We there's, probably did. But. I know. There's lots of little props. Like you know the scene in uh, in Clockwork in uh, in Doctor Strangelove when Slim Pickens when when they're they're going through their emergency kit
0: in yes. the plane yes. and
1: they they had that little tiny Bible like it's like it's like a little Bible with Russian phrases yes they have that little tiny Bible mm, nice. as a prop nice yeah and all sorts of stuff that's cool are you are really gonna start with that no. You you really gonna start with that? Well, I was gonna make
0: mention that uh, uh, I have we've actually we we've actually, no we've actually had people say uh, you know do another do another British TV thing. Cause it's been a while. Nobody since has I've said th- that. Yeah, Nobody has said that. Yes, they did.
1: <laughs> you're such yes, a long they bastard.
0: I, they did. They've they've said we're begging you to do more British TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're pleading with you. Please. I, I just it's work. The here. Best, you it's whatever. The best part of the show. <laughs> had a guy pull me aside just the other Is day. Is that I was, right? I was in the mall. And, and just this random stranger, he pulled me aside. He goes, hey, you're that podcast guy, right? And I Not, said, how do you know that? He goes, I just know that, and you need to do more British TV. So
1: pretty much uh, pretty much, uh, someone who, who – someone looked at your face and said, you're the guy who does the audio-only podcast. Is that how that works? Exactly. Wow. It's amazing, right? And he specifically requested – Fine.
0: I know you, you. wanted to get us to get to the, the foreign stuff last week, right? Oh, well, yeah, well, you, yes, what, what I you, did. Yes, you made mention. You're like, we need to get to that, and we didn't get to it. Well, so. there was
1: something. There was something. There was a criterion that we should have got to yes. uh, last
0: week. We didn't have time. Well, then let's do it right now. <laughs> Damn it! Is there anything to talk about? Anything newsworthy to talk about?
1: Why do you always say these things? And know. you know, I'm not re- remotely prepared to tell well, you anything. First
0: off, we're, we're disorganized this morning. We do have we have some <laughs> listener mail. We've got a we've got a Vox box and listener mail. And uh, meanwhile, we are taking submissions for uh, new show openings, which we're going to record shortly. So by all means, go ahead and send the new show openings in. All suggestions for show openings, along with Vox Boxes and Lister Mail, should go to uh, gods at digigods.com. Again, gods at digigods.com.
1: By the way, uh, 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 when we finally re-record the opens, they will not be lip-synced like Beyonce lip-synced the national anthem.
0: So totally. Right?
1: Fuh. Totally. By the way, she should have sang it live, putting it out there. Yeah, well, you know. I, saying, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, I don't know if people care anymore. It's kind of an old story now, but it's it's not the most important story in American history. It was like this big thing, you know. So like, kind of who cares? But she should have sang it live. Thank you.
0: All right. Barring that, we're going to jump right in with uh, some foreign stuff. And the criterion that Mark was mentioning is the tin drum, Volker Schlondorf. What a great name! Like, uh, it's Volker a great name. It's like
1: being made fun of in the playground. It's just. It's like it's
0: the perfect quintessential Japanese name, isn't it, Volker Schlondorf? <laughs> Uh, that that guy, you just you can't hide your nationality when your name is Volker Schlondorf. Uh, anyway, Volker Schlondorf, who in recent years has actually been running the Babelsberg Studios in uh, Berlin and uh, really almost took a bath off of uh, Beyond the Sea, the Kevin Spacey film, the biopic of Bobby Darren, which, which literally which took over the Babelsberg Studios for just this ridiculous period of time. Anyway, uh, that's what he's been dealing with in recent years. But he is an amazing director, one of the uh, new German cinema pioneers, along with Fassbinder and Wenders and all those guys. He was part of that whole movement. Uh, as as sort of one of the films that really put that movement on the map uh, elsewhere around the world in 1979 not that Fassbender hadn't already done it but really a a film that got tremendous amount of attention was The Tin Drum Went on to win the Oscar for best foreign language film. Uh, it is a great movie. It's uh, this fanta- It's a long movie. It's almost three hours long, but it is a great movie about a, a little...
1: three-hour film. Yeah. A three-hour
0: about a little boy who refuses to grow up uh, because he is just so horrendously offended by the um, the abuses of uh, of Nazism, nascent Nazism, and it, this is one of those just really cool you know unusual movies you, I wouldn't call it magical realism I'm not sure what I would call it but it's based in a book by uh, Gunter Grass uh, and it's just it's a it's a magnificent movie it dates beautifully it really it probably plays better today than it did at the time and uh, I have in my hand a fantastic Blu-ray of the film that is just absolutely gorgeous to behold it uh, captures all of the just wonderful nuances of this incredibly well photographed film and uh, this also won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes by the way yes did. Yes, it did. A uh, fantastic uh, new transfer, 5.1 audio, which is better than what the film was, was released with. Uh, you even get a, a recording of Gunter Grass reading an excerpt from The Tin Drum, along with uh, illustrations and uh, stuff from the film. Uh, really, just a, it's a terrific, terrific title, and you've got to check it out. The movie itself is really the appeal here. I mean, good extras, but the movie is the, is the deal. And then we've also got "Farewell, My Queen." Uh, did you see this last year,
1: Mark? Not "Farewell, My Concubine."
0: Not "Farewell, My Concubine." This is "Farewell, My Queen." I did not. It's actually really, really good, and this this has uh, a bunch of nominations with the French Cesar Awards uh, recently as well. Um, this is this is good. Uh, Diane Kruger plays uh, Marie Antoinette here, and it's it's all very much kind of uh, palace intrigue in the, during the uh, the reign of you know King Louis just before the French Revolution, all that jazz. Um, and, and again, much as I love Sofia Coppola, I didn't really like her, Marie Antoinette. Neither much. did I. But this is, sh- this is sharp. This feels more like a real movie. It really does. It feels more like a real historical thing. Very, very interesting. That's from Cohen Media Group. They're the ones that released their Blu-rays in, uh, in the clear Blu-ray package with the very unmistakable red border around them. They speak, want you to know that
1: they are, speak, speaking they're of King, Cohen. Speaking of King Louis, can I, say, can I just say right now who does the best cover of Louis Louis? You know the song Louis Louie? Where did this come from? Well, because you were talking about King Louis, and actually, I was listening to this all the other night. Fine. Now, Louis Louis, we all know Louis Louis from The Kingsman. one of the great uh, songs of that era. Because it was uh, it was it was sung in a way where you couldn't understand the lyrics. Uh-huh. It's a very catchy song. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have uh, covered Louis Louis. Yeah. The best cover of Louis Louis, you should yes. look this up Spotify. Uh, you know, sure, whatever, sure, uh, whatever, the, the YouTube. Yeah. Motorhead. You know Motorhead. Okay. Seriously, mo- I, I, I uh, gods at dot com. You go look up Motorhead. One of the one of the great like just just chunky loud obnoxious metal bands of the seventies and eighties. You look up Motorhead re- covering Louis Louis and you'll be impressed.
0: You you gave me Motorhead's cover of Louis Louis to transition from Marie Antoinette to Marcel Pagnol. Is that right?
1: Uh, that that was my plan. Okay, that was I'm my just, plan I'm all just,
0: along. I'm just checking. Uh, anyway, that the, 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 the available on Blu-ray and on DVD. By the way. Uh, and then also on Blu-ray and DVD, The Well Digger's Daughter, which is uh, directed by Daniel O'Toole, believe it or not. Now Daniel O'Toole, of course, uh, made himself a name acting in another film uh, based on a novel by Marcel Pagnol, Jean de Florette, and uh, that's where he, of course, stitches a ribbon to his nipple. Everyone remembers that scene. It's a wonderful scene. Uh, Daniel Otoy, of course, like anyone in France, has uh, a deep connection to the books of Marcel Pagnol, and he decided to uh, go out there as a director and an actor and get behind a uh, film adaptation of The Well Digger's Daughter, which is absolutely charming. Now, as someone who has lived in the land where Marcel Pagnol grew up and wrote about in uh, Provence in France, I, I have no objectivity on these films. If you just shoot a movie in Provence, I'm going to love it. It's, it's one of the most beautiful parts of the world. I love it. Can't get enough of it. Uh, someday when I'm done with this damn podcast, I'm going to retire there. You know that, Mark? I'm going to leave you in Southern California and all this mess, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to wear suits like that, like what Daniel Latoy has on the cover of this. And I'm going to, you
1: gonna... know, what? by then there'll be no packaged media left. Every the movies won't. will be downloaded right into people's brains in 4D. Yeah.
0: And I will, I'll just go back and I'll, I'll pick berries in Provence or something. Or worried about water rights. Uh, anyway, this is it's really, really a, a, an incredibly sweet film. Beautifully captures the whole uh, family and cultural motif of uh, of the area, like all those Pagnol films do. And uh, you know, Pagnol himself was a filmmaker, by the way. The original uh, Manon the Spring and all that stuff, and uh, you know, he, all, all the original adaptations of sure. his books were all his own films. So anyway, this is beautiful. You gotta you gotta watch it in Blu-ray. You really do. There are not any extras to speak of, but uh, if you only have DVD, it's fine. But the Blu-ray is just so pastoral. It's just so beautiful and then also on the foreign uh, front we've got some Japanese films which represent a much better uh, like Motorhead would have been a better transition to these we got a couple from the Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection which is always a lot of fun the (laughs) Mark I wish this is it's times like this I wish we could videotape this podcast so people could see these things. The first one is um in the Sex Hunter series of films. These are all from Impulse Pictures by the way, the Nikatsu erotic films collection. These are all uh, of course Japanese erotic films from the uh, 1960s and 70s. And this is from 1972. It is from the Sex Hunter film series. It is called Sex Hunter Wet Target. <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> give it up for Wet Target, Mark. Oh my
1: god. Thank you.
0: And even better. Mark, I'm just going to let you describe the title and read the title. Uh, d- describe the picture and read the title.
1: Well, uh, there's really no, there's nothing to be uh, sussed. There's nothing to be interpreted. It is just called "I Love It from Behind." Thank Why you. are we talking? It's Exclamation like based, point! So it's basically pornography. Why are we talking about
0: this? Not because these are uh, erotic films from the Nakatsu collection. Oh, no, well, in that case. Describe the picture. Where her hair is and where her hand it's,
1: is. It's, a, it's a, She loves it from behind. <laughs> what do you want to say? It is exactly what you would imagine it to be.
0: That's too funny. All right, and then um, a bunch of martial arts films that I'm going to roll through here real quickly because they're all sort of interchangeable in a way. Um, But because I do love Hong Kong martial arts films, I'm going to get into them. Uh, Gordon Liu stars in a movie called Kill Em All, I'm Going to Hell When I Die, uh, which is just completely... un. This is from Welgo, and most of these are from Welgo. Welgo has uh, done a really good job of becoming pretty much the goat, of transplanting or replacing Tai Seng as the go-to martial arts distributor for all of the Asian martial arts titles in the U.S. Welgo has done a great job of becoming that go-to distributor. And I think, frankly, they're doing a better job than Tai Seng used to do. Uh, They're picking good titles and they're really having fun with them. Um, Look, it's it's kill them all. It's exactly what the title says. And if you just want to see unrelenting martial arts action with uh, tons and tons of ninjas and challenges, it's the usual kind of, you know, tournament uh, format martial arts film. That's all it is. So it, it doesn't need to be anything else. We'll get a little more into the uh, historical stuff here with Tai Chi Zero. Um, tai Chi Zero adds an awful lot of embellishment to the story of the history of the Chen style of Tai Chi. There are a lot of films about different styles of Kung Fu and how they all came to be. And this one is just kind of silly. It, it's, it takes like a germ of reality and then it turns it into this crazy story about a guy who's... Uh, Got this, you know, mark on his head, and if you punch the mark, then his eyes glow, and he winds up having practically superpowers, and he can defeat entire armies all at once. And it, it's basically combining martial arts with a lot of steampunk, and the whole steampunk part of it is marginally acceptable, but it really gets silly. Um, too much special effect for my for my taste. Uh, Harakiri, Death of a Samurai... It's from new, new Video. This is the Takashi Miike remake of the original Harakiri, which is available from Criterion. And i got to say, it's just about as good as the original. Um, you know, he remade 13 Assassins and really exceeded the original. And uh, if, you, if you like the original Harakiri, this is definitely worth checking out. Um, this is a part of the Tribeca Film line from New Video. It is on Blu-ray. And it is a fantastically gorgeous and classically crazy Takashi Miike. Mike does that now, you know. He, he he's doing all these classical things. He's not the the crazy man anymore that I knew.
1: I like the crazy man more.
0: And then we've got uh, a Jack a horrible, dreadful Jackie Chan double feature. I have to say, this is from um, the Shout Factory uh, Fortune Star arrangement and uh, Crime Story and the Protector. This is not the Jackie Chan uh, cut of the Protector, which is what you should be wanting. And uh crime story. is a good film. It's fine, but uh, I, I got to tell you, I wish these were the uh, I wish these were the original cuts of Crime Story and The Protector, but they are unfortunately not. Um, so you know, hold out for the uh, for the import cuts. Uh, Chow Yun Fat stars in The Assassins. And uh, it's another one of those, you know. All of these are uh, are ancient. Ch- a lot of these that I'm going to talk about now are ancient Chinese history movies. You know, ancient
1: Chinese secret.
0: They're, they're they're epics where people wear you know <laughs> armor and robes, and it's uh, all kind of deeply rooted in elements of Chinese history. That uh, just it's way too complicated to explain. It's all that dynasty uh, political intrigue with lots of battles and whatnot. Uh, Choyan Fat plays uh, Cao Cao. No jokes, Mark who is uh, the prime minister of the Han dynasty, and uh, lots of uh, political intrigue and battles ensue. It is very nicely done, but not, not brilliantly done. Uh, White Vengeance is worth checking out, just because of who's in it. Uh, Anthony Wong is always good for a hoot, and uh, the rest of the cast, pretty great. If you don't know who uh, Feng Shaofeng is, or Zhang Hanyu, or Leon Lai, Leon Lai has been a kind of a mainstay in Hong Kong films for quite a while, uh, they're just great and uh, White Vengeance is essentially exactly what you would expect it to be it's a lot of guys on horses with armor and uh, epic battles and whatnot. Uh, directed by Daniel Lee who did um, a number of classic films back in the day uh, notably Black Mask the uh, Jet Li film very very cool that's a good one very good one uh, then Legendary Amazons I'll cover the rest of these very very quickly uh, Jackie Chan threw his name on this as a producer and uh, I'm not so fond of this one. This one's a little bit too much pageantry, and uh, the action is a little bit clunky. But the, uh, you know, the uh, production value is high enough. This is another Welgo title. Uh, then we got Warriors of the Rainbow. This is a John Wu production, directed by Wei uh otherwise known as Warriors of the Rainbow Sidic Bale. And uh, this is probably one of the better films of the ones we're talking about today. This is more recent. Uh, this is a this is a kind of a uh, a, a sprawling epic tale that spans uh, a period of history in uh, from about 1895 to 1945, and uh, deals with uh, specifically Taiwanese history. Um, it, the history kind of loses you a little bit. It is this is. The film I think this was submitted for Oscar consideration. as Taiwan's official Oscar submission at some point. It is, uh, it, it's a little bit tough to follow the history, but if you just kind of get behind the filmmaking, you can, you can kind of coast with it. It's, uh, it's very, very nicely made. Wait, eat a cookie. What cookie am I going to eat?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. Okay. You finish that. Yes. You eat a cookie. Okay. By the way, Eric Altieri, uh, uh, I did not have enough time to make your cheesecake. The cookies I made uh, were quick to make. And, uh, but I do want to make the cheesecake for next week. Okay. I promise I'm going to make your cheesecake. If you're going to send me a recipe, I'm going to make it. Especially okay. that one. Especially right. cheesecake. Fine. So I apologize in advance to Eric.
0: Okay. And then we have a couple of films uh, based on a famous manga by uh, Oka, or Oku. And these are the Gantz films. Gantz 1 and Gantz 2. Uh, i gotta, I got to be honest with you. When you get into a certain level of manga-based live-action Japanese film, and this includes all of those... Um, all those uh, what are the Tetsu Body Hammer movies, Tetsuo, all those yeah, things.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not into those.
0: I, it's, I, they lose me. I'm just kind of. I really don't know. Why. There are people with guns, and then there's like weird things happening and mechanics, and it's a little bit. Uh, it's it's almost too hyper sci-fi, cyborgy, you know, uh, cyberpunkish. It just loses me at a certain point. Um, so I really had no idea what was going on in these films, but they, they're cool to watch. I mean, they look good and the action's good. So again, it's it, they kind of go on to the. Uh, just enjoy the pretty people with the guns and all of the high tech stuff, and don't try to make too much sense of it. And then, lastly, uh, we have an outstanding release. This is probably the best Asian release of the of the week. Icarus Films has released A Man Vanishes, which is a wonderful Shohei Imamura film. And this also includes a bunch of uh, other documentaries that Shohei Imamura made between you know nineteen sixty seven to seventy five, including uh, the making of a prostitute. Uh, outlaw Matsu Comes Home, Pirates of Bun, uh, Bubuan, In Search of the Unreturned Soldiers in Malaysia and In Search of the Unreturned Soldiers in Thailand. Um, Imamura is a wonderful, wonderful filmmaker. Uh, and he makes, you know, he's one of those uh, Japanese new wave guys that just sort of brought a poetic flair to his work in a very, very compelling way. And A Man Vanishes is, uh, is just a really, really beautiful movie. It's a very simple story. Uh, the title tells you basically what the movie is about. It's about a guy who just suddenly vanished, and the search for that man. And it is um, it is really really intriguing. This is a four disc set to have all these films on it. And if you are an Imamura fan, you are going to just love this. It is a bargain and a half. All
1: right, Wade. Eat a all right, cookie. Mark. Give me the cookie. Now this is a, b- a pretty boring cookie, but uh, you know it's just a it's a ra- it's a rather uh, boring cookie. Okay. What are, what are, Ooh, are, they're pretty
0: cookies. Well,
1: it has a ha, w- try to guess what the black dots are.
0: Uh, I'm going to say they're uh, poppy seeds.
1: Uh, yes, no, they wow. are black sesame seeds. Oh my goodness! Okay, now while you eat that, I'll talk about a couple of uh, we have a couple of Oscar winners to talk about. Very exciting. Yeah, maybe. Uh, from 1947, Gentleman's Agreement." This uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture in 1947. I don't think this movie really holds up that well. It's uh, Illy Kazan, of course director of uh, you know all sorts of great films. Um, Star Wars I think he directed Star Wars I think he directed Jaws 2 didn't he or was it Jaws 3 this is a good cookie Really think you yeah you're just saying that
0: no really I like the whole it's like a little it's a little salty
1: yes it does have so- also you know what in, it, get this in, That's in, nice. in this recipe mm-hmm. instead of salt they have you uh, make it with soy sauce Mm. Which I guess adds a little bit of mm-hmm. uh, depth mm-hmm. to the salt part mm-hmm. of it. Anyway, so Gentleman's Agreement. Uh, Gregory Peck uh, plays a journalist who uh, is asked to write an article on anti-Semitism, and uh, he finds out uh, you know what it's like to be a post-war Jew in America. I think the movie kind of was a bit of a function of its time, you know, almost like um, like like the culture was ready to accept Vietnam films once Oliver Stone started making, you know, pl- Platoon and then you had Coming Home. And I think after the war, we're talking 1947, I think that the culture was ready to, ready to uh, hear stories about what anti-Semitism was really like and how it's infested American culture. It was sort of a film of its time more than was a great film.
0: Well, let, let, just to sort of parallel that, Oscar winners are always much more about the context of the times than they are about sort of art in general. They capture something in the moment and if, for example, you look at Rocky in 1976, really was Rocky better than Network? Was it really better than? I mean, if you look at the films that were nominated for Best Picture in 1976, it's like all the Presidents, it's like Taxi
1: Driver, and Bound for Glory, and all. It's the it's, it's an
0: amazing year, and and Rocky is not by any means the best film there, but considering. That the United States was out of the Vietnam War for the first time in years and years and years and years, it captured something, you know. It was also the
1: bicentennial year.
0: It's a bicentennial year. It was just, it's, it, you know, here it is. It's Philadelphia, and he's a Rocky, and he's he's he under, he's an underdog, and he just, you know, his name's Rocky for crying out loud. Come on. <laughs> It was, it was like the time – it was a zeitgeist film.
1: So it's, it's an important film because it won Best Picture, and uh, Gregory Peck is uh, terrific in it as a journalist. Uh, also, th- this came out on DVD before, but the Blu-ray is better. There's a commentary by Celeste uh, Holm, uh, who appears in the film, and Richard Schickel, the uh, film critic. And uh, so there you go. Gentleman's Agreement on Blu-ray. Also on Blu-ray, we have um, How Green Was My Valley? And the answer, of course, is Very Green. Uh, this is from 1941. This was uh, John the fil- the Ford. Fil- huh? The
0: film, the film that beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture. This giving.
1: is the film that beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture. Very true. Now there's a there's a story that I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a story that William Wyler was supposed to direct this movie. And then John Ford took over. I don't know if that's true or why that happened, but I had read that story. Anyway, um, this is a great film. This is one of John Ford's masterpieces. Uh, it looks great on Blu-ray. It stars a very young Roddy McDowell who nobody listening to this podcast will know unless you've seen the original Planet of the Apes. Um, but this, it's, it's a great film. It's got uh, Marina Harris is in it, Walter Pigeon, and it's just about one, it's about a family living in a mining town. That's really it. And it's romantic, and it's lush, and it's beautifully done. Welsh, Welsh miners.
0: Shot Hollywood back lot, by the way. They're, they didn't go to Wales.
1: Oh, Wade. You're mm-hmm. taking away all the sorry. glamour of Hollywood. I'm sorry. How dare you? No, it's true. They they built, like, a mining town. Like a, I, I, I think in, was it was it, like in Malibu or something. Um, what, 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 somewhere. I, I don't know where they built that. I don't know. Anyway, so that is, that is highly recommended. Also highly recommended is uh, on Blu-ray, uh, finally... Peter Pan,
0: yeah, baby,
1: from 1953. Sweet. This is uh, Walt. This is one. just was done while Walt Disney was, Disney was alive. In fact, uh, as I understand it, Walt Disney wanted this to be like the film right after, um, right after Snow White. I'm on my but, third cookie. Yes, yeah, you are because I gave you three. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted this to be the, this next film after Snow White, but he couldn't get the uh, rights to the story, and then he wound up doing it eventually in 1953. So this is a great film. It's this is hand animation. This is old school, but it's beautiful. The voice acting is great. The music is great. Second star to the right is just great. I love this film. It's finally on Blu-ray. Where it looks fantastic. It's, a, um, it's got a Blu-ray. It's got a DVD and a digital copy. Uh, you know, this, this film actually uh, uh, played in Cannes. Really? This film actually was entered into the Cannes Film Festival in 1953. That's it. I didn't know that. Yes, it's true. And uh, imagine this. Didn't win.
0: Wow.
1: Unbelievable. Anyway, good stuff. So, uh, Peter Pan, very highly recommended. Now, they did a bunch of sequels to Peter Pan. They waited until like 2002 or something to finally do a sequel to Peter Pan, which, of course, they should have waited until the year 10,000 because Peter Pan doesn't need a sequel. But that's Disney. They do sequels to films that don't need sequels. So, forget the sequels. Forget the direct-to-DVD sequels. There is only one Peter Pan, and it is finally on uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy. So, check it out.
0: You know, uh, 20th Century Fox has released another classic film uh, on Blu-ray, and it's an unusual one. I'm not quite sure why they would think this, I, I don't know, it's a very strange thing maybe to, to kind of go in tandem with Gentleman's Agreement because it might be one of the uh, the only other Ilya Kazan films that they were able to scratch up uh, for this time of the year. But anyway, it's an Ilya Kazan-directed uh, movie called Wild River, and it's got uh, Montgomery Clift and Lee Remick in it, which is an unusual pairing. You don't usually think about Lee Remick as, uh, you know, as that kind of a leading lady, but um, this is this is similar to a this is almost a film ahead of its time in some respect. It's a little bit like uh, what's the Matt Damon film that rec- recently came out the uh, the the, uh, the Informant. No, no, that Promise Land. Promise Land. The other actor in which I'm going to rip on in a second. Uh, Promised Land is one of those movies about people. Some guy who goes to a town to do something very official and winds up sort of falling in love with the people in the town and switching sides, right? You know, now I'm on the side of the people against the government or whatever. There's a million of those. Well, here Montgomery Clift has to go to a town because they're going to be putting a dam in. He's got to evacuate it, and uh, there's this old lady that refuses to go. And, of course, Lee Remick, her beautiful granddaughter, wins his heart. Yada, yada, yada. We know that it's just classic melodrama. Uh, the only thing that really distinguishes the movie, it's, I mean, it's a well-made movie. It's a well-acted movie. There's nothing unique about it. It doesn't really sort of get inside your, your heart in any fantastic, just timeless way. It really doesn't age terribly well. It's kind of an artifact of the time. Uh, but uh, there's an interesting commentary on here by Richard Schickel, who almost makes you feel guilty for not liking it better. And, you know, he's such a curmudgeon. Um, how, how do you not like Dick Schickel?
1: I actually Like the angrier, he's and the, cr- mean,
0: the angrier and the meaner he is The more I sort of enjoy him
1: No you uh, We talked about this a couple weeks ago He showed up to the LA Film Critics Association dinner Looking like just a doddering old crumbling crip keeper mm-hmm. Which was sad I mean he's such a great writer But I'm just saying that he well, really He's turned the corner
0: yeah.
1: It's your fault Wade I'm still chewing on the cookie Did you Now, now do you like that cookie or are you just saying that No it's good you you told me when you don't like something because mm-hmm. the, the there's a precondition to anybody trying the something I bake. Mm-hmm. They have to tell me what they really think. Yeah. Otherwise, it won't get better. So, is there anything about that cookie you don't like?
0: I only do this podcast for your cooking. That's not true. For your baking. Thank you. You know, I hate this movie. I really do. This movie's called Nobody Walks uh, with John Krasinski, who also was in Promised Land with Matt Damon, the film that I just bagged on. Um, Mark, what has happened to Lena Dunham?
1: I don't know. I, you know what? I, don't I just know. It, you know. I don't know where she's after, going. And you we, know what? We, girls got picked up for a third we, season on HBO. We, we
0: talked about this last week when we were talking about Girls. And um, Linda Dunham, of course, who won the L.A. Film Critic um, New Generation Award for her film Tiny Furniture, uh, she co-wrote this thing. And the movie is called Nobody Walks. Now, she's not in it. She just co-wrote it. It stars John Krasinski, Olivia Thirlby, and Rosemary DeWitt. Um, and it is just this is one of those movies that I I, I like to call a navel gazing pity party, and it's like a lot of Sundance movies, a lot of indie movies, where somebody just comes up with some angst ridden concept, and we're just going to do the- this movie is about absolutely nothing at all. Uh, Krasinski is a Hollywood sound guy, and uh, Olivia Thirlby, who I normally kind of like, she plays this really artsy uh, New York artist. I'm not even sure what she does. It's like she's making this thing about bugs. It's like this art installation movie and they need to add the sound of bugs crawling around or some crap. And it's just... And she comes to L.A. and stays with Krasinski and his wife, Rosemary Rosemary DeWitt, to do sound for her stupid little art installation movie. And, of course, you know, winds up basically having an affair with him and it creates strife in the marriage, as you might imagine. And then... But even before that, she's, like, making out with the guy that she sat next to on the plane. She's, like, this trampy New York artist there's no empathy for her whatsoever and this movie doesn't go anywhere it's like somebody presumably Lena Dunham and her co-writer Rye Russo Young who directed the movie it's like they just thought that this this little navel-gazing inside Hollywood experience was somehow suffice for a movie it doesn't it's terrible you, 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 what annoys it's so me so
1: boring no well here's what annoys me too is that and I can see John Krasinski being interested in this because I'm not on board with him Ugh. is that if you make somehow they feel like the lives of like Hollywood people no or one cares. somehow interesting no one cares. on its face, and no even cares. and even if they're trying to like mine some thematic parallel between no what he's going through as a sound guy capturing sounds versus capturing blah blah blah, blah. it's all just a bunch of crap. And it's the moment a, you is. make him like a Hollywood guy, you're asking people to care about Hollywood people, and most people it's crap. who watch movies they, they don't care about Hollywood people. The it's guy crap. should have been in, the guy should have been just any old blue collar Joe, yeah, and you would have cared more. It's crap.
0: Anyways, interviews here with Ryan Russo Young and Olivia Thurlby and nobody cares. It's on Blu-ray. <laughs> Doesn't look very great.
1: Speak if nobody cares, uh, Nature Calls uh, has a decent cast. Now, Nature Calls is a type of comedy that they used to crank out, like, in the 70s, where it'd be like, you know, Chevy Chase and a bunch of, uh, and Eugene Levy and a bunch of, like, you know, B-level but pretty funny comics, mm. and they would, like, you know, they'd go to camp. It'd be like, it'd be like Meatballs with Bill Murray or something like that. Yeah. Now you've got Nature Calls, which is with Patton Oswalt, who we love, Johnny Knoxville, who I don't love, and Patrice O'Neill, who uh, actually passed away last year. I actually met him once. I went to lunch with him. Um, Patrice O'Neill who's very funny but passed away in 2011 and this is uh, the story of uh, it's about a slumber party and the, uh, it's terrible okay. anyway it's just a, it's foul mouth and it's not funny but it does have a great cast and Patton Oswalt should know better especially after starring in some or co-starring in some decent films including Young Adult uh, but there you go and Johnny Knoxville thank God is finally falling off the face of the earth he did this he did the Schwarzenegger film uh, The Last Stand which tanked so uh, the good news is that Johnny Knoxville is going away but the bad news is, is that Nature Calls is on uh, Blu-ray shelves, and you should pass on it.
0: Uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever is a Sundance indie that I actually enjoyed, believe it or not. And I know a lot of people uh, thought this was just way too kind of cloying and forced and, and uh, self-serving, but I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, Rashida Jones co-wrote this with her partner, uh, Will McCormick, and then she stars in it with Andy Samberg. And the idea is really kind of a cute, simple idea, which is that they, they were high school sweethearts, they got married young, and the marriage doesn't really work anymore. But now that they've decided to get divorced, they are like the best of friends. They get along so well, obviously, until they start to sort of, you know, go their separate ways and, and develop other relationships. And then they realize they, they really still love each other. And uh, it's, a, it's an unusual, yes, it's kind of a predictable look at, uh, at a romance. It, it, you know, the structure of it is not hard to sort of see coming a mile away. But I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think they're both very appealing. Andy Sandberg has annoyed me in a lot of movies recently. And here I found him to be really, really very genuine. And I just love Rashida Jones. She could do anything and I will uh, – I'm all over it. I just think she's wonderful. She brings so much charm and authenticity to everything she does. Elijah Wood, kind of wasted. Not really that uh, important here. But he's a, he's a name and Emma Roberts shows up as well. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a
1: very decent cast.
0: It's a, it's a good little movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: All right, wait. Let's do this. Let's talk about uh, three Bigner releases. Yeah. Then no. do listener mail. Okay. Should we do these?
0: Should we do oh. these? You know what? Um, yes. Let's yeah, go. Th- fire those off. Yes. Let's do those. And then <laughs> let's do those. And then very quickly dismiss these two okay, because these fun. really don't warrant any 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 mention. And that then is, we'll uh, uh, we'll
1: do that. That is true. On Blu-ray, we have Here Comes the Boom, the latest from Kevin James. Now oh. Kevin James had a surprise oh. hit a couple oh, years ago with the Zookeeper. And uh, I don't know that The Zookeeper was a great film, but it was a film that kind of all families in the multiplex thought that they can kind of safely sit through it with the kids. And somehow that thing made just boatloads of money and everybody, oh, Kevin James, he's the new king of comedy. Well, he's not. He's terrible.
0: They think he's the new Jackie Gleason because he's a fat guy and he's sympathetic and because he can do all kinds of sort of acrobatic things that fat people aren't supposed to do. Remember when Jackie Gleason would do those cartwheels and everyone would just be like, oh, my gosh, he's a fat man and he does cartwheels. Kevin James is
1: that new guy.
0: Look at him. He can do splits. He can do pratfalls, and he's so fat. It's, it's
1: not entertaining. No, it's not. It's not, it's not he's not funny. Anyway, here he plays a, he's a. He was a former collegiate uh, wrestler, and uh, now he's going back to do some martial arts thing for a charity, whatever the hell it is. I don't know, because it was so stupid, I think I fell asleep,
0: actually. Kevin James can
1: win an Oscar.
0: Really? Yes, he can. If he stars in The Chris Christie Story. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm putting it out there.
1: Chris Christie is hilarious. <laughs> guy's awesome.
0: But he'd have to gain weight, right?
1: That is true. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Frank Karachi, who uh, did The Wedding Singer, which is kind of his career high. I like The Wedding Singer a lot. It's a fun film. But wow, that's, uh,
0: that's, a, that's a hell of a time. No, to, come on. I mean, that was a oh. while back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not saying, saying that, that's but it's a good car- film. If that's your career high, what was it? 20 years ago?
1: No, I, what, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm trying not to be a hater. I'm saying The Wedding Singer, oh, yeah, a good yeah, film yeah. That, I, that I did like. It's charming and fun, one of Sandler's best, which, of course, is a, is, a, right. is a low bar, but... Um, this here comes the boom. It's so bad that actually on the back of the uh, Blu-ray they had they, they have nobody to blurb, mm-hmm. except for some blurb whore. But uh, they put they let you know that it got an A from CinemaScore. <laughs> CinemaScore is like c- CinemaScore is this service that will poll. Oh, yeah. Speaking of should, c- CinemaScore, off, is a service that will poll. Movie watchers, as they leave the theater, they have little cards or whatever, little piece of paper, and they fill it out. And then they, uh, and then Cinema Score tells you what the people thought, as opposed to what the critics thought. Yeah. And Cinema Score says that it got an A, which meant that all the twelve-year-olds who saw the movie and laughed and giggled because they were in a movie and they weren't uh, at school gave it an A.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I was what I was going to say is we might want to let the listeners know that box office no longer has reviews. We are no longer box office film reviewers.
1: I'm actually no longer a paid critic anymore. <laughs> I am temporarily no longer a paid critic. It is well, true. Box office magazine which has been running reviews for probably, literally 80 years since the, since the, the, yeah. since the dawn of, pulled of, the of the film.
0: Plug, pulled the plug on editorial.
1: Pull the plug on film reviews. So, just, Wade and just, I – It's
0: just a data mining organization now, which doesn't make any sense. But, hey, you know, now, it's – Now, it we haven't
1: talked about this. Now, here's the thing. Now, yeah. Wade mm-hmm. – Now, boy, we about to digress. We don't talk about that. We'll talk <laughs> oh, about it. Oh, no, it's history. funny. It's better.
0: funny. Well, finish that. Yes, and then I'll, and I'll talk sa- about this.
1: What I'm saying is that uh, uh, now, Wade, you know, as a member of LAFCA, we need to crank out a certain number of reviews per year. Yeah. Now, Wade, you may not write, but you're on NPR, which is extremely legitimate, if not yes. prestigious. So, you're in good shape. Me, I have to find another outlet. Yeah, well, it, it, it'll happen. Anyway, Denzel Washington is uh, stars in flight. This is uh, nominated for uh, best screenplay and best actor. Denzel Washington, and of course, we all know what I think of Denzel Washington. He is awesome. I love everything he does. Um, this film, though, uh, the most valuable player here is not Denzel Washington as uh, as an airline pilot who saves a lot of lives. Uh, but turns out is a drunk nor is it even John Goodman who shows up in about three scenes and steals every one of them he really does <laughs> he I really race.
0: does this is I mean this, I think this deserves its uh, Oscar nomination for screenplay
1: uh, I think re- it does the real valuable player here is Robert Zemeckis who is doing his first live action film after ten years in the wilderness doing a bunch of mocap crap that nobody watched and nobody cared about and literally you're like you're watching this film and it starts with this plane crash and when you watch it and how how tight it's cut, and how well it's done, and just the shots and the effects. You're like, thank you for coming back, Bob Zemeckis. My I God, know. what is wrong with you? Where have you been? Welcome back. The, that, the only thing I'll say about this film,
0: the, the, is, yes. uh, There is great direction in this movie, and the shot of the mini bar.
1: You knew that was coming too. You that, knew he, uh, we can't give it away, but we you won't knew. give it away.
0: But that mini, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the so, mini yeah, bar yeah, shot. Yeah. The shot. That is great filmmaking. That's great filmmaking. But you
1: know what you know Because you know he, he stayed on it.
0: Yep. And then you saw... Oh, man, it's beautiful. Yes. It's just beautiful. It's just like... It's in that moment when I'm just like, you know what? It pays to have a director who has a vision, who understands the power of how you stage something. Just beautifully done.
1: <laughs> the, only thing, the only knock I'll give on the film... Yes. I, I'm dedicating this knock to Andrew Curtis. Yes. <laughs> the, Thank you. The only knock I'll give on the film is this. My issue with it which I generally enjoyed, is there's two ways to go with this film. There's Mm -hmm. two things you're being asked to care about. You should be asked to care about, will he acknowledge his problem and get better? Right. That's the movie I kind of wanted to see. Mm -hmm. The movie we're given is, will he get caught? Mm -hmm. If it's will he get caught, then it becomes more like, not a crime procedural, but like, will this guy get away with this crime? That to me is not as interesting I as agree. will he acknowledge his problem and get better. And I yep. felt like the movie emphasized to its slight detriment mm-hmm. will he get caught yep. over will he, as a character, get better. So that's my only knock on the film, which is a, which is a, a bit of a like in the weeds kind of a knock, but I did notice that as, as I was watching I hear it. You. But that being said, I love Denzel Washington and I love everything he does. That's so perfect. there you go. Love it. Uh, a person who I love nothing that he does is um, uh, Tyler Perry. Now, Tyler but, Perry... But
0: see, I, I don't fault Tyler, Tyler Perry for this. We're talking about Alex Cross, of course. This is kind of... I, I don't want to call it a prequel, but you know the Al, the Alex Cross character, who's an FBI profiler in the books, the Alex the uh, Alex Give Me books, um, is, he was previously played by Morgan Freeman in two films, Kiss the Girls and uh, Long Came a Spider, or whatever the hell that thing that, that was. Spiders Kiss the Girls. Those two films. Star Wars? Yes. And uh, the... There, he's the FBI profiler, and he's sharp and the whole thing. This is when he's a cop. He's just a detective, but a really sharp detective before he becomes the FBI profiler. And Tyler Perry playing Alex Cross is a bit of an awkward twist in the casting. Everything in this movie is telegraphed carry on
1: um, well the big story is that Tyler Perry who has made uh, uh, literally made himself an industry dressing like a like a like a 60-year-old African American grandmother Medea Medea is now making his dramatic debut top lining alias cross yeah, and he is good. terrible the film is terrible this thing is a misbegotten piece of crap and by the way <laughs> guess who guess, the only blurb they got on the front cover of this thing is oh let's see
0: uh, oh, Tyler Perry, like you have never seen him before. Pete Hammond, BoxOffice.com. Yeah, we won't be seeing that anymore.
1: Well, but, but by the way, Pete's – well, we won't be seeing that because no one's writing for BoxOffice.com anymore. And Tyler Perry will never be asked to do a dramatic film anymore. But I will say this, hmm. is that Peter's right. It is Tyler Perry, like you've never seen him. I've never seen him do a dramatic <laughs> role. So, okay, He's right. <laughs> Okay, it doesn't say he's good. It just says it's like you've never seen him it's before. Just unbelievable. It, but Tyler, it, this thing is just misbegotten. I think Tyler Perry needs to go back and it, what what he needed to do is he needed to ease us into the idea of him I playing agree. a super serious, hard boiled, fighting cop. The fact that he wants to dress up like dress up and drag for twelve years worth of media films and suddenly blow it out of the water by playing like this rough and tumble cop, mm-hmm. I, I he, that was that was the audience was not going to accept that.
0: You know, more than three decades after uh, the Zazz team of the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams gave, gave us, you know, Kentucky Fried Movie and Airplane. Love it. Awesome. Uh, boy, has that genre taken a dive. This This is just so dreadful. 30 nights of paranormal activity with the devil inside the girl with the dragon tattoo. Not funny. The title's not funny. The movie's not funny. And uh, the, t- the people who make these movies now, I mean, it went from the Zazz team down to the... Um, well, you know, the, two so of the two scary of the movie
1: was the one that was kind of like the Wayans brothers. When the Wayans, Wayans to brothers those.
0: took over. But now now we're just, into, just a, into stupid territory with people who have no talent and no ability to be subtle about any of this stuff. And it's just a whole lot of, like... Really overwrought meta referential crap, and it it doesn't. It's just dumb. It's just really not entertaining. It's not funny. It's not. It's not endearing. It's not even a wink at the audience. It's just not fun in any way at all. It's
1: terrible. Now there was there a movie that is already gone called Movie Forty Three, and Movie Forty Three was supposed that to come be and go? The movie that was supposed to be the new Thing. Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, where you get these huge act like Kate Winslet, Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, Richard Gere, Naomi Watts. Too many all,
0: cooks in the kitchen with that one.
1: They all. Look, they all worked for two days. It took a couple years to make because these people, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be available. And suddenly right. they were available. So they had to grab a couple cameras because Richard, Richard Gears suddenly had half a day to shoot. And they eventually got it made. And this thing is just scatological and awful and horrible and the worst thing ever. However, guess who liked this film?
0: Who liked this film? Our
1: good friend, Alonzo Duralde. Did he really? He gave it a – he was he – was, he was, Oh, oh I, I knew that. I saw that on his Facebook page. He is one of only two positives on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, every once in a
0: while, Alonzo will – he'll put his neck out there. He will. He will.
1: And that's why we love Alonzo. Before, Two freshes, 32 rottens.
0: Before we get into uh, Lister Mail and Vox Box, I want to give a shout-out to uh, this amazing movie that stars Thor's sister-in-law. You know that. This is Thor's sister-in-law, right? <laughs> in Greek mythology – in Greek mythology – or Greek mythology. In Norse mythology, Thor's sister-in-law is Miley Cyrus. Actually, just in Hollywood mythology. Anyway, Miley Cyrus stars in So Undercover – uh, because she's so undercover, she's an FBI undercover agent that goes undercover in a sorority because she's got to protect a, the daughter of a, of a witness in a m- forthcoming mob trial. This is just so stupid; it's unbelievable. I don't know how it's these Miley things. Miley Cyrus. It's Miley Cyrus. The only reason this got made was because it was a great straight-to-video thing for Miley Cyrus, and they figured there's a, there are enough fans out there to justify. You know, I, is whatever. that Jeremy Piven? It is indeed. You realize
1: I, I, gar- <laughs> I will guarantee you one thing because I have very very this is years ago I very yeah. light Jeremy Piven experience. Yes. I guarantee you one thing: there was a time during the making of this film mm-hmm. that Jeremy Piven went into Miley Cyrus's trailer to run lines or whatever they were doing yeah. and he made a move. I mean, I, I don't know that. But Jeremy Piven is kind of a douche. Really? Yes. I remember when we booked him on uh, one, a talk show I used to work on yeah. and the uh, talent booker was a woman and once Jeremy was done doing the show and he was fine, he paneled for whatever, a couple of seconds, he was fine. Jeremy would himself call the talent booker in the days after they taped and was kept asking her out
0: seriously yes oh my gosh exactly all right mark uh, we got some uh, we got some listener mail here this is so hysterically timely this came in about a week ago and the timing based on go ahead and read it mind you oh, this I'm is based this. on the breaking news just within the last couple of days i find this to be an amazing amazingly prescient listener mail
1: this is from uh, peter you wanted me to read this cuz you can't pronounce his last name no peter Causaries. Cazares. Cazor, how do you know that? I guess he's written this before. Oh. Peter Cazares says Hey, Mark and Wade, do the DigiGods foresee a Blu ray re release of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek to coincide with May's release of Star Trek Into Darkness? The three disc edition is out of print and unavailable at retailers. The only option currently available is the single disc with a feature length commentary track as the sole special feature. I can't believe I'm considering picking this up before any Star Wars Blu ray. I still have the 2004 DVD release of the original trilogy and refuse to pick up the complete saga Blu rays on the basis that we are expecting episode seven in 2015. And of course, George Lucas, George Lucas' is constant tinkering with these films. Thanks again, DigiGods. Peter, unpronounceable last name by Mark from Toronto.
0: Isn't that funny? So he, what's the question? He, he, well, no, they'd be, but he mentions the uh, – talking about Star Trek. Oh, I see. Got Star it. Trek and Star Wars in the same breath, not real. Before even realizing that true. J.J. now winds up being the godfather of both franchises. Now, I think that is an amazingly prescient email.
1: Oh, well, here's the thing, though. Uh, uh, well, we, first we should answer his question.
0: Yeah, well, I've gone back and forth on this. I don't think they'll do a special release. I think they'll wait till after the second Star Trek film.
1: I, I, I think so, too. Yeah. I think uh, – I'm very surprised it's out of print. Why would the originally be out of print? I don't know. It's that weird. Thing, that, that thing should be out there like a, an MFR. Straight. Yep, uh, Peter. I feel for you. I do. Uh, Wade and I do not think there will be a special release of uh, Star Trek to coincide with Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, you just going to have to go on eBay and hope for the best.
0: And then uh, on the same note, we got an email from uh, Kevin Smith, University of Aberdeen in the UK. See, we have a global reach here.
1: Why, why can't Kevin Smith, the director, email us?
0: I know. He says, what do you guys think of the news that your mate, J.J. Abrams, your mate, I love it, your mate J.J. Abrams will be directing the next Star Wars movie. I think he has the right sensibility for this sort of project, but I hope he manages to turn the CGI down and take us back to a more practical Dude is a Suit era of, of effects. Uh, I live in a hope. I also just read that box office is stopping film reviews. The piece name checks Mark. Can he shed any light on the situation, which we just did? And uh, with respect to the um, uh, JJ taking over Star Wars, which I find to be
1: I, every time I read, I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around. Now, obviously, we've talked about this a lot. I went yeah. to I went to public school with JJ for three years, and you know Wade is very good friends with JJ's producing partner, and. So we've known these people. I mean, I've, you know, I was with JJ in junior high school like 14 yeah. years old and by the way he was like a kind of a genius back then. But um so it's not like I'm jealous of him or I don't wish him well. Of course it's, it's He's a wonderful uh, guy. It's He's absolutely a really fine. nice guy. Totally. I mean there's no, we're not being like haters. It's totally fine. But there's just something about it that is just you feel like I don't know what it is. I can't well, wrap my head around it. JJ it's even, like J.J.
0: J.J., even by his own admission, is not really a very good director. But the thing about J.J. is that he's completely tied in with that whole fanboy set. And they follow him. So it's like it's almost like he brings this messianic following of Comic-Con groupies with him. And so even if he were the worst director in the world, he, the fact that he brings this army of followers means there's like this built-in audience that will follow it. So it's like now you bring the J.J.ites along with the Lucasites. Oh my gosh! You've you've got yourself you know a, a really great platform from which to build the next Star Wars franchise.
1: Well, there's, there's there's a couple things. First of all, he's not writing it. No, it's being written by the guy who wrote Little Miss Sunshine, yes. Michael Arndt. So there, yes. may, it, it may wind up being an, an interesting script. Yes. You know, this is not uh, the Transformers guys who also write JJ's films, where everything is Correct. big and huge and gigantic and unbelievable. So it might be a good script, character based script. That's great, and I think that if JJ sees that, I, I don't think he'll dishonor that. No. Uh, but I just find it amazing that this guy that I went to junior high school with, and you literally introduced Brian to. Didn't you introduce Brian to JJ?
0: I introduced Brian to Matt, who introduced him to JJ. Uh,
1: so, it, it, and the idea that he has been given the keys. Yes. To, it's, it's literally like saying, let's make, as an example, Obama, just because mm-hmm. he's president. Now, let's make Obama president, vice president, secretary of state. Uh, let's make him the president of France, Russia. Let's make him prime minister. Let's just let's just give him the keys to Earth.
0: <laughs> I mean, JJ
1: is like his. He's, uh, why not just give him Indiana Jones to direct too? Yeah.
0: Right. Why not give him? Why not right. have him direct
1: every James Bond oh, and know. every Mission Impossible? He has the keys to literally two of the most iconic pop, not even film, yeah. pop culture properties ever. It's
0: bizarre. I know, and and Mission Impossible, mind you. That's right. So, and yeah. even though he's only
1: producing those. You know, I mean, Brad Bird, I, I mean, frankly, Brad Bird was the one who saved that series. Yes, he, he was. The last Mission Impossible film I thought was great. So, but J.J. still producing. He's got a hand in it. So, it's, it's for us, it's just, and again, I haven't talked to J.J. in like probably six, seven years. But, but again, I'm saying it again, and Wade, I speak for Wade, don't wish him ill, no. nice guy, not, not being a hater, Let's totally get goes. it, congrats to him. It's just, when you know these people, it's it just bizarre. Weird. And it's like, it's not even like, oh, our friend just directed... Uh some Sundance movie. It's like he's Star Trek and Star Wars. These are the, the these are the iconic properties of our youths.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And by the way, the streams never cross on those. The streams don't cross because the Star Wars people hate the Star Trek people. The I Star know. Trek people don't get the Star Wars people. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's not fair. All right. Wow, well so to, to spare Mark any more pain and moving on. Uh, last email came from Jason Levy who referenced an earlier show where we were asking who's the David Warner of today because David Warner was like the archetypal bad guy of movies in the 80s right he was in everything from from Time Bandits to you know you name it he just he, to Tron I mean he was the guy and we asked, uh, who was the new David Warner? And he says, you I would think the new David Warner of today is Mark Strong. From Sherlock Holmes, Kick-Ass, John Carter, and Stardust, he seems to be the villain in everything these days. If Alan Rickman was the David Warner of the 90s and now Mark Strong, I guess only British actors could make the best villains. Good point. I like Mark Strong. Call. He's cool. I love Mark Strong. I really do. Uh, I always want to see Mark Strong actually cross over and play a good guy and be Sherlock Holmes. To be honest, Ooh, wouldn't that have been great? Because he looks the part. He looks the part, but unfortunately, he wound up being the bad guy in Sherlock Holmes. All right, Mark, we've got a Vox box that we're going to wrap the show <gasps> up with. We're going to wrap it up with. Not yet. Um, I want to sing it now. I, but I got to burn through some British TV. You got to let uh, me burn through this British TV. You burn people, through British TV. I'm going to get some water. That's what I'm going right. to do.
1: I'm going to stand up and get some water. Get
0: some water. I'm going to go with this. I'm going to roll with it. From 1978, uh, Acorn has brought us back. Lily, which is uh, this Francesca Annis is just a wonderful actress. If you've not uh, been exposed to Francesca Annis,
1: Wait, would you like another cookie? Yes, I would. Really? Yeah. Ooh, you, do you, it. you said that as if like you actually truly wanted it.
0: Oh, no, I, I do. I'm, I'm trying
1: to get rid of them. Do you want like one, two, three, four? How many do, do it. Let's do it. Do you want uh, one, two, two three, two, four, two? three, four? Two. Okay. I have to heat two. them up.
0: That's fine. Okay. Heat them up. Please hold them. Do it. Uh, anyway, this is basically a biopic miniseries, and it is long. It's like s- over seven hours long as a miniseries. It was a Masterpiece Theater release in the U.S. It is all about Lily Langtree. Um, and, you know, to, to give you any further background on Lily Langtree, Wikipedia her. Uh, wonderful figure. Francesca Annis is delightful. It is a fantastic uh, miniseries the remake series of Dr. Zhivago is out again from Acorn as well on DVD um, not such a fan of this to be honest um, Keira Knightley not such a great Lara and uh, Hans Matheson not such a great Yuri Zhivago I don't know why they feel, felt the need to do this the David Lean film pretty much put the exclamation point on this adaptation of the uh, of the uh, remarkable Pasternak novel but uh, look they went ahead and did it and it's uh, you know roughly the same length and it you know it was a, a made for television thing in the UK I, it's it's not an embarrassment, but it's, it's pointless. It doesn't really need to exist. If you're a fan of The Misfits, uh, BBC Video has released uh, season one of The Misfits and season two of The Misfits together at the same time. And uh, it's an okay show. Um, I think it probably, you know, it's, it, it, it definitely has a British flair to it. And uh, you definitely need to watch season one before you watch season two because otherwise it will make absolutely no sense whatsoever. But uh, this is about a bunch of uh, kind of reckless delinquent uh, teenagers who are sentenced to community service and um, they discover that they're basically superpowered. There you go. It's heroes meets delinquents. Um, and then we also have yet another series from uh, Roy Clark's Last of the Summer Wine. This is the 1997 series, vintage 1997. We have talked about this ad nauseum. It's unbelievable how much, how long this show dragged on. And uh, you know these these crotchety old uh, codgers are still kind of funny. But my goodness, uh, this also includes the 1996 special for those who are huge, huge fans of the show. Top Gear 18, amazing that this is 18 seasons along the original UK Top Gear. Unlike the uh, Top Gear in the United States, this is actually entertaining to watch. Have you tried watching Top Gear here, the American Top Gear? Uh, No. Oh, it's horrendous. It's just really, really bad. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson is who makes this show, and I just love Jeremy Clarkson. I love him as a figure, as a host, as an icon, as a writer. Um, I just love listening to him talk. I love reading his prose. His reviews are outstanding. He He's written some of the funniest uh, car reviews I've ever read. They're the funniest reviews of any kind. Anyway, uh, this is season 18. It's always entertaining. Lots of cool cars. If you're a car person, you will just revel in this. There are some awesome cars here. But ultimately, you're watching it for Jeremy Clarkson uh that utter, utterly pointless series Merlin the adventures of Merlin now reaches its fourth season and uh the, I just don't get it it's this is this is like the british equivalent of the CW, of a cw series we're just going to take a, a cast of an american cw show and we're going to implant them into something that has some kind of relevance in the iconography of british uh literature and somehow it's supposed to work and it doesn't really i i, I love arthurian stuff but this almost reduces the whole Arthurian world to, like, you know, Xena or Hercules. I, I'm really kind of over it. But it is a beautiful-looking Blu-ray, and uh, comes with a bunch of special features. Most of it, you know, EPK-type stuff, outtakes, deleted scenes, um, and uh, some, uh, you know, making of featurette things and a few audio commentaries. Nothing outstanding. Red Dwarf 10, or Red Dwarf X, do the uh, app Mac OS twist on it. We'll call it Red Dwarf Ten, uh, on Blu-ray. I love Red Dwarf. I think it's hysterical. It's weird. It's twisted. It's bizarre. It's it's quirky. I agree. You it, know what? Wait. It's awesome.
1: I'm on board. Red Dwarf. Cool.
0: It's so it's, so it's totally cool. Yep. Never gets old. So uh, definitely check this out. Uh, it, look, if you know it, this takes fanboy. It, this is really the ultimate sci-fi television spoof. It really is. It does what uh, what Quark was never able to do. Remember Quark, Richard Benjamin. The, oh, this, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Space, that was like in the early now. '80s or something, wasn't it? Why isn't that on
1: DVD? Uh, that's true. My gosh, put it out there. But this is also like I mean, that's uh, like uh, what was the Tim Allen so thing? Uh, uh, Galaxy Quest.
0: Yeah, it's very. That's d- excellent analogy. Galaxy Quest. Very much. Very much. So, anyway, a lot of a lot of really cool extras on here. Uh, there's a feature-length documentary, believe it or not, and uh, that is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, 2012, the complete series, it didn't last long. This is only two discs. And uh, the only reason I think they're putting 2012 out is because everyone involved in it uh, is now on to um, sort of bigger and better things. We know them from other things. For example, uh, Jessica Hines, Menorah from the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Hugh Bonneville, Downton Abbey. It's much better in Downton Abbey, actually. And uh, you know it's it's a this is sort of um, done office style, and I don't particularly think it's a great show. But because Hugh Bonneville obviously has a a profile now, that I guess that gives them uh, some cause to go ahead and you know try to mine a little more of an audience with his uh, previous stuff. Uh, Being Human season four. You know we talked about the American version of this, which is not good, and uh, all this this monster and vampire and werewolf stuff. I'm in ghosts and. You know, with Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters now, I'm just so tired of all of it. I really am. And uh, even uh, even when it's done as well as being human on BBC, uh, I just, I, I can't get behind it. And after four seasons of this, it's really old. So for fans only, it's on Blu-ray, gorgeous Blu-ray. BBC does some really, really good Blu-ray work, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't jump to go see it. Midsummer Murders, set twenty-one on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, I, the, you know what, it, Law and Order set in the countryside. We've talked about this before. It is a, it is a very sharp show, really well written. But uh, good grief, set twenty-one, it's really, really dragging on. Uh, Poirot and Marple. This is another Acorn release. This is fan favorites. And uh, they are really, really just doing everything they can to re-release all this previous material that they've re-released many, many times and repackage it and try to sell it over and over and over. This is not triple. This is quadruple and quintuple and sextuple dipping. Uh, So all this stuff, if, if you haven't gotten any before and you kind of want to get a little flavor of the best of, fine. Agatha Christie's Poirot with Murder on the Orient Express and Poirot's Christmas and... Mysterious Affair at Styles, and the ABC Murders, and 4 and 20 Blackbirds, Adventures of the Egyptian Tomb, along with the Marple titles, Murder at the Vicarage, Murder is Announced, Bertram's Hotel, Pocketful of Rye, The Mirror Cracked. Big deal. Not that enthralled by any of it, to be honest.
1: Oh, wait, wait. here's the thing. Oh, do do that, and then I want to do something.
0: Yep. And then, uh, lastly here, Wodehouse Playhouse. Uh, this is, you know, if you like PG Wodehouse, this is the complete collection of Wodehouse Playhouse, starring John Alderton and Pauline Collins, and because I'm just a huge Pauline Collins fan, I can't I can't not recommend this. Even though, bear in mind, this is very, very play. It's very theatrical, you know. You're you're not getting like great television here. You're getting basically staged Wodehouse for television. But uh, you know, there are like it's like almost two dozen stories here, more than that even of uh PG Wodehouse stuff. And it's if you love Wodehouse you're going to love this. This is a great box set, but you got to really be a Wodehouse fan. If you're not, you're, you're kind of be, you're, you're sort of going to be blindsided by it.
1: All right, Wade. Before we say goodbye, I'm going to yeah. take a picture of you and I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. Why? Because we need more Facebook people engaging, which by the way includes Jeez. us. Thank okay, you. ready, Wade? I'm ready. You're going to love this. Now, uh, 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 smile. It's a good thing I shaved this morning. <laughs> what kind of lame smile is that? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Okay, now. I'm, I'm going to post this I'm to the really DigiGods scared. Facebook page. I'm terrified. And uh, you're going to love it. I'm sure I will. You will, because there's a surprise in it for you. Uh huh. And what is that surprise? I'm not going to tell you. you got to go on the Facebook page. You put a mustache on me? Did no, you draw h- a mustache how, 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 how can I do that?
0: I don't know. You do that. You tend to do those things. <laughs> it's your style.
1: What can I say? <laughs> it's
0: true. Let me see the picture.
1: Show the no, picture. no, no, no. You'll see it on the Facebook page. You, you, you I'm posting a, it now. I'm going to post snide, it now. You made a snide comment. I didn't do anything.
0: All right, <laughs> Mark. Time for Voxbox.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Hang on. I, I have to sing the song. Uh, yes, and, exactly. And, and then I'll get your cookie.
0: Okay. You ready? Here we go. You I'm ready? ready. <laughs> i Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Mario Mendez here, the Alexander Berlika of Glendale. Colin, I asked you a question about uh, Blu-ray transfers. Uh, often, obviously, you talk about this studio does a good uh, tr- uh, copy of a movie. This one doesn't. You know, th- it was playing the Christmas gifts this year, and I pop in jaws is just an amazing uh restoration and transformation onto blu-ray and then i popped in raiders and not so much and then you got about a 15 20 year gap there you would think that raiders would look better uh than jaws or at least be comparable um what does one studio do or what uh, studio lacks um the proper technology to do a good transfer and what is the actual technique to make a good transfer um so that, you know, we could be dazzled by older movies on Blu-ray. Anyway, take care. Mario, thank you. The Alexander Berlika of Glendale. I, I love that. that. It's great. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I should say I actually like the Raiders transfer. I really do. And and I I've had friends who took me to task for liking it. They're like, "It's crappy, it's terrible. Look at this compared to this." And here's the thing. I mean, Raiders was shot by Doug Slocum, who's old-school DP. I mean, one of those old, old British DPs did a lot of things in like the, the 50s and 60s. And he was, he was hired basically to bring this kind of old serialized movie panache to it. So Raiders, if you see it projected today, I think you'll realize it's, that there's, there's, there are elements to the photography that may not lend themselves to the home. It's, it's not going to look as good on Blu-ray as I think you think the film should look, as you think the film probably does look. But it's a great film, and it's beautifully photographed. But that being said, I think the Blu-ray is actually very good. However, points are well taken. Mario's points, generally speaking, here's the thing. Uh, the, the transfer technology, the mastering technology for, for how you handle these things has not really changed significantly over the past 10 years. Pretty much all the tools are the same. The only thing you're dealing with are the limitations of the format of the disc, of, of what you have to do to it to get it onto the disc, of taking raw, uncompressed, lossless audio and raw, uncompressed video, how do you squeeze that onto a Blu-ray disc or even a DVD disc? And there are two different formats there. There there are two different kinds of compression. There's spatial compression and there's temporal compression, which means that spatial compression you take one frame and you look at whatever data is redundant in the frame and the, it just assumes it remembers that data once and then replicates it many times. That's where you get sort of artifacting in the frame when they do that poorly. And then you also have temporal compression, which is where you compare two frames, one with the next, and you see what information is redundant from one to the next. And then the software just says, I don't need to remember that information twice because it repeats in the next frame. So it's either between frames temporally or within the one frame spatially, and sometimes both. And that's Ultimately, Mark, whose job is it to manage those things? As we often say, the transfer monkey. That's it. So yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, that's that's one of the one of the other uh, one of those that the issue of compression is obviously one of the um, one of the variables that you just can't control. And and that's totally up to the guy who runs the machine and his his expertise with the software and the producer overseeing the project and the quality control. I mean, there are a lot of hoops to jump through.
1: I mean, most of it is again. You've got a. I think the two most important elements ironically enough, are the source elements you're dealing with, right? If you're dealing with, you know, some amazing, you know, interpositive that you can then strike a new print off of that you can then scan that you can then blah, blah and you can make it look great. That's the best. A lot of these DVDs back in the DVD days and Blu-rays too, especially of older films, you don't know where these prints came from. The prints may be damaged enough as it is. So then you're giving it to the distributor, possibly a damaged print, and the, the distributor is saying, compared to how much money we're going to make off this DVD or Blu-ray, how much money are we willing to put in to fixing it up? Yeah. And maybe they're not willing to put in a lot of money to fixing it up. Maybe if it's something like Raiders, they want to fix it up a lot. And the other thing to remember is, and this, this gets into like digital noise reduction, is how much do you want it to look like, what it looked like, when it was originally released and projected, versus how much do you want to clean it up? Now, I remember when the patent Blu-ray came out, Patton had a lot of grain.
0: yeah.
1: And for the Blu-ray, they cleaned up all that grain. Which was not Patton, good. Patton looked like, on the Blu-ray, which is like Patton's all-time favorite films, Patton looked smooth as a baby's bottom yeah. on Blu-ray. But that's not how the film was shot, and that's not how it was projected exactly. when it was released theatrically. So, in a way, if you keep the grain, that doesn't make it a bad transfer. No. Sometimes you want the grain there. Now, and- when it comes to uh, damage to the print... You know, little specs and little scratches. It just depends on the elements. It depends how much money the distributor wants to put into cleaning up the elements. And, of course, eventually, the transfer market.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it, I mean, so many variables. And remember, a lot of these companies, they have contracts. And the difference between Universal and Paramount, uh, you know, it depends on the titles. They are not the two ace studios. The ones we're talking about here, Universal for Jaws and Paramount for uh, for Raiders. They're not the two ace studios at this stuff. Warner Brothers really, and Warner Brothers and Disney pretty much own, you know, the quality end of the spectrum and Sony most of the time but you know the ones who really do the special editions it's Disney and Warner Brothers but that being said most of the time there are two tiers here that you're contracted with one company or maybe it's in-house to do most of your titles and then when you get that A-list title every once in a while you'll go you'll farm it out to somebody who's really really going to do the uh, the A-level treatment on it so that's the other variable that's just never never quite you never really know what you're going to get and you you sort of have to, to it's trial and error sometimes.
1: I think the important part is that hopefully people are going on our Facebook page to look at the photo of Wade Absolutely. that I just posted.
0: Do it. Go to the Facebook page. <laughs> and send us all of your new show intros, your Vox boxes, and your listener mails to gods at Gods at We'll see you guys next week.